So we'll read the chapter, but I'm going to start in chapter 9 and verse 36, and we'll read on from there. Jesus, uh, let's see, 36, chapter 9, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these, the first Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. The 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you received, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey. <clears throat> or even two coats or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. And whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. But if it is not worthy, take back your blessing of peace. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out of that house, or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Truly I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in the synagogues, and you will be and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light, and what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim upon the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows full, sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. 
but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother, mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, and he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Well, there's a lot in this chapter, that's for sure. And there's some things that are not readily, um, easily understood. So we're gonna look at some of these and hopefully gain some light. But before we do, <clears throat> what we have here, the reason I read just before this, because uh, Jesus is dealing with Israel and he says to his disciples that they should be praying that the Lord of the harvest um, would send out workers into his harvest <laughs> and guess who he decides to send it's them the ones he told to pray it's a good thing to pray that the lord would send out workers but don't be surprised if he puts his finger on you and says okay buddy you, why don't you be one of the workers it's just the way it works because it's a commission to all of us but what he was doing here i want to just talk about the harvest that they're talking about in israel because this is who they're going to be dealing with, Israel only. When, when, when the Lord says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and when he was with the Samaritans, he told them, look on the fields, they're white, ready to harvest. Well, these people had the scriptures, and they've had them for many years, and they've had the prophecies, and they knew about the Messiah, so, so there's a difference with them and with the people that have never heard the scriptures at all. I wouldn't say that those people are, you know, ready to be harvested in the sense that they're talking here. First, there has to be a lot of tilling of the soil with those people and planting and watering. And then eventually the harvest will come. But these people had all of this for centuries. They had the word of God. And now, now Jesus is taking 12 men and he's going to send them. He's under his authority. He is going to send them throughout Israel and he's giving them power to do things. That, that's a really um, important aspect of what they're going to be doing. And who are these men? So he said he summoned his 12 disciples. They're, they're a specific group. Jesus had many disciples, but they're, they're 12. They're what he always refers to the 12, the 12 disciples who he called apostles, the 12 specially chosen men. 
for special ministry. He summoned them and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He gave them that authority. They didn't have it in themselves. He gave it to them. It was his authority. He had the authority to do it because what have we seen already in Matthew about the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, in chapter 4, we saw he was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease. He was doing that already. And every kind of sickness among the people, healing it all. And now he gives them power to do the very same thing. Also, it says in Matthew 4 that they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases, pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. So he had this power. He could do it. Then in chapter 8, it says um, there was a leper that came to him and he was cleansed. The person with leprosy came and he was cleansed. The interesting thing about leprosy, it, it was a sickness, but it was also a defilement. And anybody who had leprosy was unclean and had to stay without, outside the, the, the camp. They, they weren't allowed to associate with people. And it, it was a sickness that needed healing, but also cleansing under the law. And um, it was a it, it separated one from everybody else and they had to announce that they were unclean and so jesus could even deal with that he could take that disease away and make them clean also in that chapter we have a demonstration of faith by somebody who was from outside the people of israel a centurion had a paralyzed servant and he sent to jesus because he wanted to see his servant healed. And it was a demonstration of faith, so much so that Jesus said, I have never seen faith like this in Israel. Because this man said, you don't even have to come to my house. You say the word and he will be healed. He said, I'm a man under authority. And I say to somebody, do this, and they do it. And I said, I know you. You have authority. You're under authority. But you can, you can say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I've never seen faith like this, not even in Israel. So, and then after that, in chapter 8, Peter's mother-in-law had a fever. Jesus healed her. He stops the wind and the sea. That was an amazing thing. That the, the disciples, you know, these guys that were used to the water, had a hard time dealing with that. Who is this man that he commands even the wind and the waves and they obey him? And somebody made me understand this a bit better because they said like, on Lake Ontario, we live really close to Lake Ontario. On Lake Ontario, when there's a high wind, those waves really get going. But you know, after the wind stops, it takes hours and hours and hours for those waves to stop. The wind can be gone, but, but that, that water will be agitated for a long time afterwards, this is what this surprised the disciples. He commanded the wind to stop and the waves at the same time. Everything went calm. They'd never seen that before. Well, they'd never seen anybody who could do that. But the fact that the wind stopped and the waves stopped at the same moment, that really surprised them. So then, um, two men possessed with demons, and he cast them out. He heals a paralyzed man, 
and forgives his sins. That was another thing that they hadn't seen. This man forgives sins. And then he calls Matthew. And then he, Matthew was a tax collector. And he dines with tax collectors and sinners. And people were surprised at that. Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Tax collectors went into a special category for some reason in Israel. Sure, they were sinners, but they, they were tax collectors because they associated with the Gentile leaders and worked for them and they took from their own people and they had their special category. And Matthew was one of them. And Jesus ate with them. And he said, those who are sick are the ones who need a physician. And he said, I came to call sinners to repentance. So, and after that, there was a woman who had a hem hemorrhage and she touched his, his garment in faith and it stopped. Um, there were two blind men and they, they said, have mercy on us, son of David. That's a new, new term they're hearing. Two blind men who could see have mercy on us, son of David. They couldn't see physically, but they could see spiritually. This is the Messiah. He's the son of David. And they cried out to him, have mercy on us, son of David. And he healed them. He gave them their sight. Um, later in chapter 9, um, a mute, demon-possessed man um, had the demon cast out. And then the Pharisees accused him, and this will come out in this chapter. They accused him of casting out demons by the ruler of demons. Whoa, what a thing. And then, and again in chapter 9, he was teaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and sickness. So that's what we have through, through Matthew coming up to this. And then he says that Israel is like sheep without a shepherd. He looked at them and he said, look, at, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, beseech the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest. These people have great spiritual need. A sheep without a shepherd. Where were their shepherds? And the prophets had a lot to say about the shepherds of Israel. They were negligent. Sheep don't do well without a shepherd. And they do, they do well with a shepherd, but they do really well with a good shepherd. And the good shepherd was here. And he looked at them and he said, they, they have no shepherd. They, they wouldn't come to him. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he said, I'm gonna send you guys and you're gonna proclaim something to them. So in, in, we, ha we have a few things going on in this chapter. We have the authority that's given to the 12. And then we have the, the 12, they're, they're listed for us. And then we have the, the instructions that he gives to his disciples bef before he sends them out. And then he talks about the cost of the discipleship, that it's what it's gonna mean to them to follow him. And then he tells, uh, tells them, what the meaning of discipleship is and what the conduct of a disciple is like. And then he talks about the test of discipleship. There's a test to it. And then he says at the end what the reward of this discipleship is. So those are the things he's dealing with in this chapter. So that's actually a lot. But let's look at um, the 12 here. They're listed for us. And in every list you're going to see, Peter is always named first. Always Peter, Peter first. And um, Peter was called, or Simon, 
who was called Peter. He was also called Cephas in, in other scripture. Then his brother Andrew. And then James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew the tax collector, um, another James, Thaddeus, um, and then Simon the Zealot, or the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him, and his name is always qualified by this. It's interesting. Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Every time he's mentioned, the one who betrayed him, the betrayer. And when Matthew's mentioned, the tax collector, it always comes after his name. In the list, there's lists given in Luke and in Mark, and the lists are a little bit different in order, but it's the same men. And um, Thaddeus is called Judas, the son of James in Luke. Um, and then in John, it talks about Nathaniel, but we don't see Nathaniel listed here, but he's the one Philip brought to Jesus, but he's Bartholomew. That, that's what is um, assumed, that it's, it's Bartholomew. He's the, the only one it could be. So here we have the 12, the 12 men that are going to be sent out, and they're all given the same power, all of them, even Judas Iscariot. That's the authority that Christ has. He could give this man, who was a betrayer, he could give him the same power that he gave all the other disciples. You know, the other disciples never noticed anything strange about Judas. Nothing. When Christ said, one of you is going to betray me, they, they all questioned themselves, who is it? Is it I? Is it I? They had no, nobody said, yeah, this guy will do it. We know this guy. He's going to, no, they didn't know. Nobody, nobody saw him as any different. Only the Lord. The Lord keeps bringing this out. And he's, he said it to him, and he pointed it out to him, but the others didn't see it. So let's, let's go on um, in Matthew 10. In verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them. He said, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter the city of the Samaritans. So he, they were to go to the house of Israel only. This was not a mission outside of Israel. And Paul tells us the gospel was to the Jews first, and then to the Greeks, then to the, uh, the other nations. But they were only to go to Israel. And this is what they were to do. They were to preach, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very same mission, me, uh, message that John was preaching and Jesus himself was preaching. And he says, you preach the same message. Tell them the kingdom of heaven is near. It's nigh. It's at hand. And then he said, this is what you'll do. You're going to heal the sick, raise the dead. These men could do that. Raise the dead. Jesus was doing it. And now he said, you're going to do it. You're going to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and he says, freely you have received, freely give. What does he mean by that? I've given you this power freely. You give it out freely. You don't take charge for it. So do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats. Just go with what you have. That's what he's telling them. You don't need all this stuff because you're going to Israel. And Israel, if they're faithful, will be responsible to take care of you. And then he says, the worker is worthy of his sport or his nourishment, you could say. You, you'll get your food. They, they will provide it for you if they're worthy. 
and because I'm sending you to the house of Israel, not to anybody else, and you're part of this, and you're bringing, you're bringing the message of the Messiah to them. As you enter the house, give it your greeting. If the house is worthy, give it your blessing of peace. If it is not worthy, take your blessing back. So they were to give a blessing to the house if it was worthy. If it wasn't worthy, they would, in other words, if they wouldn't treat them as they should be treated, take that blessing back from them. And what it would mean, a blessing would be like, they would, they would receive good fortune from the Lord for, they would receive benefit from the Lord for taking care of these disciples. If they didn't, they would take that blessing back. They would not receive it. Whoever does um, not receive you nor hear, heed your words as you go out of that house or that city, shake the dust off your feet. Take nothing of that place with you, not even the dust. We saw this later with Paul, he shook the dust off his feet. He was not, they, they were not to take nothing from that place with them. Shaking the dust off was a sign that we have nothing to do with you. You've rejected us, we have nothing to do with you. And so they would shake the dust off their feet from that place. And he said, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in that day of judgment, in the day of judgment, than for that city. That is a, quite a statement. Sodom and Gomorrah were, were horrendous places and the, the cities around them in, in that plain. They were immoral, corrupt. Every, everything they did was evil against what they knew was, was good. They did evil all the, all the time. And God had enough of them and he said, I'm going to destroy this place and he did. He destroyed them with fire and brimstone. That whole plain was destroyed. And um, the people perished in that, in the, in that uh, fire that came down from heaven. But he said, it will be more tolerable in the day of judgment for those people than it will be for these people of Israel who have rejected their Messiah, who have rejected the truth, who have the scriptures and know the truth and will not listen to it. He said, it will be more tolerable so that we could say maybe there's degrees of judgment, but it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah. They're not going to be spared from judgment. But these people will be severely judged because they rejected God and the scriptures when the Messiah was there showing who he was by all that he did and by the power he could give to these 12 men. And then he, Jesus is going to talk here about the road that they're going to be on. And it's going to be a hard road that's going to be before them. Um, and he's going to give them some instructions and uh, tell them about this. So he said, I'm sending you out a sheep in the midst of wolves. He described Israel before as having, being as sheep without a shepherd. Now he describes the apostles as the sheep he's sending. He said, I'm sending you as sheep into the midst of wolves. Not very pleasant for a sheep to go to do that. The wolf is a, is a danger to the sheep, but he said, I'm sending you as sheep into the midst of wolves. Not as wolves into sheep, but sheep in a, into a group of wolves. That, and now he's describing that Israel as, as wolves. Like it's going to be a danger to you to do this. And so he says, because I'm doing this, be shrewd as serpents and innocence 
innocent as doves. Shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. In other words, be wise, but innocent. Don't do anything wrong. Be really wise in what you're doing. So we don't have much experience with serpent snakes here, but in Africa you do. <laughs> I've had a lot of experience with some very deadly snakes, cobras, mambas, um, and uh, vipers and uh, boom slangs. I, I've seen a lot of different kinds of snakes and had to deal with them because they, they were encroaching on, <laughs> on us. So, but snakes are an interesting creature in how they, they hunt in that. A viper has its way of hunting. It just lies in wait. It's very quick at striking, very slow maybe at moving, but it will lie and it will, it will lie in the path of where it knows, it can sense other creatures and it waits. And as soon as it's near, it, it strikes. And the venom is, is deadly for the creature and he waits for it to die and eats it. Cobras travel and um, they're, they're a very interesting snake. They, they can, some of them can spit venom. So, uh, you know, they have a way of protecting themselves. But all snakes can track and find their prey. Mambas are probably the most graceful snake, one of the most graceful animals probably in creation. You, you, I've seen them and they can move in uh, ways other snakes can't. They can travel with their head up and pretty quickly. They're, they're fast and uh, they can strike with, the, they don't have to coil back. They can travel with their head up and strike. They're, they're pretty snake, but they're deadly. And um, I had an experience with one when I walked out of my house, it was on a wheelbarrow buyer back door and I, w I didn't see it and his head was up and I walked right up to him like this. And I, when I saw him, I saw him at the last minute, I froze. If I had taken another step, he would have struck. And I froze and all I could think of was just back up really slowly. So I slowly backed away got to my porch door and got in there and grabbed a rake and that snake he didn't slither down he jumped off the lip of the wheelbarrow he just popped and and tried to get away but i couldn't leave it in my yard because of that you know the next time i might not see him the lord allowed me to see him that time so i took the rake and i tried to fight him and kill him with it but that thing attacked me there People will tell you snakes are not aggressive. They don't know snakes. Snakes are, can be very aggressive. Mambas are territorial. And if you get in their territory, they are aggressive. And this thing attacked. And in the end, you know, I, I killed it. But it, it, was, it was quite a battle for a while because those things are so agile. And um, he's saying, you be wise as a serpent, but don't be deadly. Be harmless as a dove. You're not, you, you be wise, but you don't act like a serpent. You have their wisdom, but you're like a dove. A dove is harmless. Nobody's ever been attacked by a dove. <laughs> Nobody's been hurt. You never hear stories, oh, the, some poor fellow got attacked by a dove and he's in the hospital. No, you don't hear that. So he's telling them, you, 
you're going to be among wolves, but you'll be wise as serpents. You're going to have to be really wise because these are ravenous. You be wise, but you be harmless as doves, innocent. <clears throat> and he says, beware of men. This is what they're going to do. This is what's going to happen to you. He's telling his disciples. They're going to hand you over to the courts or to the Sanhedrin. They're going to hand you over to be, to be judged. Even though this was a message to his 12 then, there was a, a, there's a future aspect for them in this too. And there's also an aspect for us. And I, you know, this has happened to many believers throughout history. They've been handed over to the courts and judged and put to death. We, we know some of them because they, John Huss, for example, Tyndale. These men were handed over to the courts and judged, but they were wise and harmless, but they still suffered the penalty of death. So he said, they're going to do that. They're going to hand you over to the courts. They'll scourge you in your, their synagogues. This is what they're going to do. They'll scourge you. Why? You've seen what they're, they're trying to do to me. You'll see. They'll scourge you in the synagogues, <clears throat> and you will be brought before governors. They're even going to take you outside of Israel. Now, this isn't happening to them right now, so there's a future aspect to it for, for these disciples, because all of this did happen. They'll take you to governors and kings and to the Gentiles. They'll take you outside of Israel, and they will have you judged by these people. But when they hand you over, do not worry about what you are to say. Now, this is a really comforting verse in a lot of ways. It's not if they hand you over, it's when they do. Jesus is telling them, this is what's going to happen to you. It's quite a thing. He said, I'm sending you out, but here, just understand what's going to happen. It's not going to be pleasant. But there's something really, really good about it. When they hand you over, don't worry about what you are to say. You don't have to worry. You don't have to have a message prepared. You don't have to think how you're going to defend yourself before them. Just don't even worry about it. And why is that? It will be given you in that hour what you are to say, for it is not you who speak, but it is the spirit of your Father who speaks in you. This is the first reference I think there is in Matthew to the spirit being in people. They knew nothing of this, actually. They knew nothing of this when he was saying this. They weren't indwelt by the Spirit. He hadn't come yet. So there's a future aspect to it. He, they said, don't you worry. Don't, you don't have to have a, a defense prepared. You don't have to think about what you're going to say. The Spirit of your Father is going to speak through you. He will defend you. It will be him who speaks. And it's amazing through history, when you read the life of some of the martyrs, the things that they said under torment and threat of death, it could only be given to them by God. John Huss burning at the stake said, Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. The same thing those blind men said. Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me as he was burning at the stake. And they said incredible things during their death and during their trials. They defended themselves so well that they, it just brought so much hatred on them because of the words they were saying that were, they could not argue against. The only thing they could do with these men was get rid of them. They couldn't withstand their words because it was the Father speaking through them the truth. And he says, don't you worry. 
this is what's going to happen with you. And then he says, you know, brother will betray brother. What? My own family members will betray me? Is this what the disciples were thinking? Yes, he said, this is what's going to happen in Israel. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Imagine that. A brother will betray his brother so he goes to death and a father will even uh, be consenting to the death of a child. Why? Because they follow the Lord Jesus. Imagine that. Children will rise against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And why would that happen? Because they follow the Lord Jesus. This is the cost of what it means to follow Christ. You will be hated by, by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. Now, this is a hard verse. I, uh, if we look at it in certain ways, and it's not so hard in other ways, because there's a future element to everything Christ is saying here, because this all didn't happen right then. They came back, they reported what had happened to Jesus, but all of this didn't happen, but it was all going to happen. And so they came back, and he who endures to the end will be saved. Salvation, what does that mean, <clears throat> saved, to be saved? Is it just the spiritual salvation, or is there a physical element to being saved? Well, if I'm drowning and someone helps me out of the water, they've saved me. He who endures to the end will be saved. Physic the end of what? Later on in Matthew, it's going to talk about that time. And these words are going to come back again. So when you get there, you'll, you'll see these things. But he who endures to the end will be saved, will be brought into the kingdom. He who is alive at that time will enter the kingdom. They, they will be saved. <clears throat> There's a, I, I was reading early this morning, um, F.W. Grant and his little commentary on, on this, this passage, and he, he said, there's a he called it a dispensational aspect to this, and he said, when you have that understanding, it's not so complex, because it's not, he, he's not telling the disciples, if you don't, if you don't last, you, you're going to be lost. No, he's saying, you, you can be physically saved if you can endure all this in the end. So, <clears throat> we see brother betraying brother. Now, where, what brings these attitudes about? Where, where a brother would betray a brother, a father would betray a child, children would betray their parents to death. What attitude brings that out? The human heart does that. And hatred for God does that. And somebody who is associated with Christ, and Christ is hated by those, they will be hated too. Um, this may not be a good example, but I did see it Dur during this, this time we've gone through it called the pandemic. Uh, you've seen a lot of different attitudes towards it and a lot of different thinking and opinions, and that's fine. But some people took them so strongly that families were divided over this. Over what? Why, why would you be divided over something like this? They won't speak to each other. They won't associate with each other because you hold this viewpoint, I hold this viewpoint, you do this, and I do this, and nope, we can't be the... Well, if it's a thing like this that families can be divided over, when it comes to faith in Christ, how much more will families be divided over that? They will be. So that is what's going to cost. But whenever they persecute you, in verse 23, in one city, one city of Israel, you flee to the next. Go to the next one. If they're going to persecute you, they're not worthy. Go to the next one. Flee to the next. 
For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So what he's saying to them there was not fixed to this time because the Son of Man was sitting there with them and he hadn't left yet. And he said, you won't, you won't, you, you'll go through. Now, it's interesting when I was reading Grant, he wrote in the 1800s, right? And Israel was not a, Israel was a dispersed nation. They were not a nation anymore. He never saw 19, what is it, 48, when Israel became a nation again. He, he didn't know that yet. And, but he said, in a future day, and we, we've experienced that day, Israel, and he said, they're going to continue going through these cities. So there's a day coming. You'll see it at the end of Matthew. They're going to continue this as disciples throughout Israel. Revelation talks about it also. It's going to be, it's going to continue that. They're going to be um, talking about Christ to, from city to city until the Son of Man comes. And that's what's going to happen. So that's some of the cost. It's, it's a hard thing. What, what is the cost for us to be a disciple? Are there any of these things? I just noticed the time, man. I'm out of time. Are there any of these things that apply to us today? Yes. Your family may disown you. I know people, their family disowned them because they accepted Christ. There's people in the village, and one of their greatest fears is what their family will do to them for being uh, a, a believer. It's, it's all over, you know, where we were working in, in West Africa. People who were from one religion who found Christ and started following him in truth were rejected by their families, even put in danger by their families. What's the cost? It's a big cost. Some fear for their lives because they're a follower of Christ now. It's not acceptable. And then he talks about the meaning of discipleship, and he says a disciple is not above his teacher. You're not going to be more than what Christ is. You're not, he said, or a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher, be like Christ, and a slave like his master. If they call the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign the members of his household? So what he's saying here, if they call me a demon or that I'm the ruler of the demons because they, they said he casts out demons be, by the, the power of the ruler of the demons if they say that about me don't be surprised what they say about you you know in Canada some terrible things have been said about Christians by leadership in Canada I don't know if you've heard them but it, it's terrible what, what's been said we have unacceptable views. We follow myths and fables. There's, there's a man in Canada that says this stuff. He says, we follow myths and fables. We're unacceptable. And we actually are a danger. We're, we're classed with groups of terrorists. It's happening in other countries too. I heard, maybe you've heard of the World Economic Forum, I don't know, look it up on the internet. You'd be really interested in what you see. Most of our politicians, or many of them, are part of this. So <clears throat> there's, a, there's a man there and he said, this, the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ, the Bible. You know what he said? He said, it's fake news. 
So what does that mean? We're following fake news, in his opinion. What do you do with people that follow fake news? Well, you have to indoctrinate them, get them thinking right, and if they don't, you get rid of them. That, that's his viewpoint. This is fake news. Christ, he says Christ never rose from the dead. I'd like, to, I'd like to talk to him and say, you prove that. Everybody who's tried to prove that has actually proved the opposite. Any serious person that has tried to prove that has proved the opposite through history, and they become a follower of Christ because they cannot disprove it. It's the most attested fact in history. So, so anyway, we can't be greater than our masters. So don't fear them. Verse 26, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed, hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in darkness, speak in light, and what you whispered, what is whispered in your ear, proclaim on the housetops. So don't be afraid. You're going to proclaim this loudly and everywhere. What I'm telling you, you will proclaim it everywhere. So don't be afraid. And, but who do we fear? Fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. That, who is that? It's, it's not the evil one. God, that's God. He's talking about himself. You, fear, you should have a, a fear of that, the person that can destroy both body and soul in, in hell. And then he says to them, are not two sparrows sold for a cent, and yet one of them won't fall to the ground. They're, they're so valueless. That's what he's saying. They're only sold for like a cent, not, not much value. But not one of them falls to the ground. Not one of them falls to the ground except... Um, apart from your father. So he knows it. God, God knows that sparrow, and that is, and, but it's so valueless in, in, the, in, in men's view. But, so you may, be, you may be considered valueless. Your viewpoint, what you're saying, who you are, not much worth. But to your father, he knows. He knows you. You're a value to him. And then he says, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. What an encouragement to the apostles. Every hair in your head is numbered. God knows. He knows us intimately. And then he says, so, so do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Not just one. You're more valuable than many sparrows. You have value with God. He knows you. You are valuable. So don't fear man. Your value is with God, not with them. So if you can, this is a hard one, <clears throat> and I'll just maybe, sorry, I'm over time. I didn't realize. Everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And this causes, these verses cause us a lot of challenge. Why is that? Because we think, oh, I've denied him sometimes. Maybe, maybe I'll be denied before the Father. But what Paul takes this up in, in 2 Timothy and chapter 2, and he says, it is a trustworthy statement. If we die, for if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will, he also will deny us. So that's challenging. But then he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Okay, Christ cannot deny himself, so he cannot deny me because I'm, I'm his. He can't do it. So this, this is talking about something that we're not understanding. He's talking, 
who was among them? Who was among this group of disciples that this was pointed to? His name was Judas Iscariot, and Christ knew who he was, and he was pointing this right at him. You deny me, and you will be denied. So, and then he says, don't think I came to bring peace on earth. I didn't, but I came to bring a sword. And he's going to set, he talked about what's going to happen in families, but he said, I'm going to set a man against against his father and a daughter, against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemy will be many enemies of his own household. Why? Because of faith in Christ, this was what will happen. He's not, he's not here to make peace with everybody. He's here to bring the truth about who he is and what can be obtained through his sacrifice. And those who reject it will be at, at odds with those who accept it. And he said, that's, that's what I've come to do. And then he says, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. So here's the cost. He says, you can't put your family before me. You're not worthy of me if, if I'm not first, if I'm not the one who captures your heart. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. There's life in Christ. If I find life in this world, I'm going to lose life in Christ. If, if that's my only hope is in this world, but there's life in Christ. What happened, this verse here really challenged me when I was younger. I was a child, probably 12 years old, 10, 12, I can't remember, years old. And I couldn't get past this verse, could not get past it. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And I, I remember saying to God, I don't know how that's possible. Because at that point, you know, as a child, my mother was kind of the focus of my life. I thought, how could that be possible? How can this be possible? And I couldn't be saved. I could not, I could not accept this. And then one day, I remember the Lord brought that back to my mind. And the verses were going through my mind, and I just remember saying, Lord, I don't know how, but you do it. And I just bowed to him right there. And that was it. I was his. That was the thing that was keeping me. I knew about sin. I knew about his sacrifice, but I just could not accept it because that would mean this would be true. And I knew in my heart that was not true. And then he made it true. He made it true for me. So he receives me. He who receives you receives me. That was an amazing statement he said to the apostles. If they receive you, they're receiving me. And if they, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. You know, Paul was asked by the Lord in heaven, why do you persecute me? And he was persecuting the church. That was very personal to the Lord. Now he's saying, whoever receives you is receiving me. And, the, and if they're receiving me, they're receiving my father. So this, this is what, we, what it means to be a disciple. And then he says, he who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Israel rejected all their prophets, but some received them. But as a whole, Israel killed them. They got rid of them. They wouldn't listen to them. And then he says, he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. 
And whoever in the name of the disciple gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. A simple thing, isn't it a cup of cold water? Well, not in some cultures. Where do you get cold water in Israel at this time? How did, how did they get cold water? Did you, did you think of that? It's easy for us. Comes out of our taps cold. Um, comes out of the fridge cold. But where, where in, like in Africa, where do they get cold water? In a village where there's no electricity, where do they get cold water? Well, you, there's evaporation and they, they put them in clay pots and the water that goes in those clay pots is cool. But I remember people would come to us because we had a fridge and they, they would want some cold water. Just to have some cold water, especially when they were fasting, they would want cold water. And it just, it just was so soothing to them to have cold water, a simple thing. So simple things that we do can be a big blessing to people. It's not always, it's not always the, the big things. And they are the things I think that, that we will be surprised that bring reward. The kindnesses that we show to each other, to other people, the simple things we do. We think of them maybe as of little value and so small, God takes note. He takes note of sparrows and hares. He takes note of what we consider small deeds of kindness and help to others. He takes note. Someday we're going to see all that and we're going to say, oh, I didn't even realize that. I never even thought of that. So simple a thing. But that's where the reward lies in being a disciple. Wise as serpents, harmless, innocent as doves. Because you're going to be ministering to people. And it might be hostile, hostile environment, but they need the message. They need to hear. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, what you've given to us in it. Father, some things are challenging for us, but we know that your spirit can teach and guide us and bring us into truth. Father, we just thank you for the words here in Matthew that uh, were recorded by that apostle uh, who actually went through these events and he recorded them for us so we could know more about Jesus Christ. Father, we see him. He's amazing. He does all things well. Father, he cared for those apostles, and he taught them and trained them so that they would be uh, your servants and be proclaimers of the truth and proclaimers of, of himself. Father, we just thank you uh, that we have this. Father, we ask that you make us your disciples, make us those that proclaim who Jesus is, who share it with those who haven't heard and those who are lost. Father, just guide us as we part. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.